if you're making an event, it's not about you. It's about the community. So keep that in mind. Mind. Yo, yo, yo. What up? Welcome to the Mindful and Ruthless Podcast, where you will learn the mindset, mindset strategies, and the tactics in order to develop a full-stack life. life. Hi everyone, what's up? My name is Sagi. I'm a designer and entrepreneur and the host of this show. My guest today is a consultant, trainer, speaker, and computer graphic arts designer. He's also the co-founder of the D2 Conference in Vienna. He's also a YouTuber that makes awesome videos, so you should definitely check out his vlog. I'll link to it over here as well. So in this conversation, we talked about community building, event organization. I take him through, uh, like to tell him, tell us about his insight from running his event year after year. Also, we get into some YouTube tips about gears and tools and some hacks. So ladies and gents, it's my pleasure to present to you, Fabio Palzelli. Let's get my phone ruthless. So, everybody, welcome to the second episode of the Mindful and Ruthless show. And today we have Fabio Pavelli with us. Fabio, what's up, man? How's it going, dude? Thank you very much for inviting me. I really appreciate that. All right. So, like, before we dig into anything that I want to talk about, because I have a lot of things I want to talk about, if you may, like, introduce yourself a bit, just like kind of tell your story and how you got to be a designer and uh, right now, like, you know, doing your own things. Basically, I was not born a designer. Um, I grew up doing graffiti and I wanted to go to art school, but my parents didn't want me because, you know, who goes to art school does drugs and blah, blah, blah. So I ended up leaving school. I went to do my military. I was a professional sportler, so I ended up in the ski team of Italy. Uh, on a mountain and long story short at the age of 22 I could not take it anymore so I said goodbye and I went to first Germany, France, Ireland, England and I worked as a cook. Uh, I became actually a very good chef and I worked also with Gordon Ramsay, I worked in the restaurant of uh, Jamie Oliver And I remember one of the things that I loved doing was drawing the dishes that I was going to cook. I I remember it wasn't good drawings, it was like schematic drawings of how things were going to work. And then one thing led to another. I always wanted to do something better with my life. I could not get over the fact that, you know, my dad uh, wanted me to study and I did not do it. So I didn't want to disappoint him. I decided to enroll in architecture. I did that in England. I studied, I did my bachelor, and then I moved to Austria to study my master. And that's because I met who then became my wife in uh, in London. She was from Austria, so I went there. Uh, why am I saying this? I moved a lot, you know, in the past. And moving a lot put me in a situation where I didn't really have good connections in all the places where I was staying. So I had to figure out very quickly a way to make money somehow and do it, you know, with the skills that I had. So, you know, just to shorten up the the story, I I was very good at making 3D stuff. I learned a lot of uh, uh, 3D software and I decided to teach the software to people that did not know how to use software. In 
in about a couple of years I was already running a uh, teaching company in Vienna and we were organizing workshops where people from all over the world would fly to Vienna to learn with us or to learn with the people that we were bringing from other places. It was a fantastic thing. And then at a certain point I decided, okay, I need to move away from this students uh, kind of industry and I want to work with the big players. So I decided to make this conference where I would bring all the biggest professionals to uh, Austria to have a discussion about the uh, discipline that we were dealing with. Um, we had, you know, it's never a linear thing. We had our ups and downs. The first event, we had to cancel basically the organization of the first event, although the first event took place. We had to relaunch it. It was not easy. And we went from being a bunch of like 50 people to, I think this year we are going to be about 400 people. Uh, it took us like six years, but you know, we grew. And, uh, and I took the knowledge that I was gaining in doing all this stuff um, and transformed it into a job because now I work as a consultant for creative people. All right, so I wanted to talk to you about events, okay? Now, uh, Fabio, you had such a, a huge experience with this. Can you give us a few tips on, one, how to get a community, a community together? Like, how did you bring your community together? And then afterwards, how do you, bring, like, how do you organize an event? Like, what are your takeaways from these past few years? The moment you decide to make an event, you need to really understand why the event should happen, meaning... In our case, we had a problem, and the problem was that people that liked doing our job, they were not making enough money to do it. So we needed to have a place where we could talk about the stuff and where we knew that people could get some value out of it. Now, even with that scope in mind, the first year we did only about 50 people because people did not think that there could have been value in an event like this. Now, it, they say that it takes about six years when you make an event just to break even. Uh, and this is usually why um, it's mainly, you know, big companies that invest a lot of money in doing these events because once you get a community going and there is an event behind it, you basically make, uh, you surround yourself with customers that are happy about it, you know. The point that I'm trying to make is that it, it will take a little bit of time. Of course, you can be very lucky to make an event that, you know, it's such a niche that, you know, people need it and maybe, you know, at the first ev uh, edition it's going to be a full sold out. But even there you have to be careful because you might get in the position where, um, you might over deliver or oversell and then people won't come back the year after because, you know, maybe the event was uh, hyped and, uh, um, you know, and um, it's it's not going to be uh, good. Um, what else? I mean, one of the reasons why our event worked is because Vienna is in a very uh, critical position in Europe. You know, it's surrounded by countries that have economies that are extremely weaker in comparison to to, um, 
to um, Austria. So, you know, we needed a discussion about how to monetize in terms of like, uh, uh, you know, how can you do this job and not lose money? That was basically the thing. We were lucky. There were already a couple of events. We were lucky and uh, we were able since, you know, the first event to actually monetize very little because then we learned that, you know, the money that you were making, you had to put it again <laughs> and reinvest it in order to keep yourself, uh, how do you want to call it? Uh, yeah, for the next event. And eventually, the more you grow, the more you invest. So, you know, although we are growing, the event is still not the main thing that I do in order to survive, so to say. Yeah. And also, like, um, so, you know, getting everyone together and, like, um, how do you do it when you when you when you sell when you promote the event? How, what do you use to promote your event? Well, uh, in the very first year when we started, it was 2013. So I was the manager of a uh, Facebook community which had like 29,000 people, a community that I built myself, and this was the one of the most famous communities in the field of like 3D at that time. So once we put that event online, it, it, you know, we had a lot of traction and we didn't really have to do a lot of work. The thing is that when the voice started to go around and people from the um, bigger players from the industry came to knock at our door, we needed to prove that we were actually good at what we were doing. So the challenges started from the second year on. Yeah, and and, in the, and basically when you had like those guys come in and sponsor, like you had sponsors coming and wanting to advertise. It was a little bit difficult with the sponsors in the beginning because we belong to the uh, the so-called DAC region, which is Germany, Austria, and Switzerland. So at that time, sponsors were really structured, meaning that they had to go through uh, resellers. Um, Luckily enough, one of my partners of the guys that I said, okay, you take care of this, was actually a reseller. Uh, so, you know, it was luck that uh, I found myself working with the right people at the right time. So, you know, what, is your, what are your tips for people that have small communities if they want to create live events? Uh, my suggestion is just go for it. Uh, you know, the, the, it's not predictable what's going to happen. I think that if you do the right uh, work and you have a network of people, you can make it happen. One of the things that I love um, to, to experience in my life, as a, especially as a consultant, is to when I say something to somebody, to see the day after that those people are actually doing those things. So what's your way? You know, it's basically... The, the way we do it, I'll, I'll tell you, the way we do it, we build the hype, we build content, we build the hype around the content, we release the content, we release the hype, and then we see people joining it, you know, because the thing is that with events, uh, it's not like you end up making that much money that you say, okay, you know, it's a, a freaking amazing thing. It's a marketing uh, thing. You do it just to to put yourself out there and to build a community. 
And even if you do make a little bit of money, it's not gonna make up for the amount of time that you spend working. And we had that conversation at my place when you were telling me, you know, about some of the projects that uh, you were making. Sometimes it just doesn't make any sense, but you do it because it puts your face and your name out there. And I think this is, um, you know, here in Israel, I've tried to mix up with some... uh, forums of like entrepreneurs i've been to lectures and i tried to to get a little bit into the um the entrepreneur scene here and unfortunately i think that it's um it's a specific thing for this country where a lot of people don't understand the value of like putting yourself out there seeing your reputation and your presence uh giving you a lot more reliability in the market and then build upon that people just want to see the work see an economic result and this is not how entrepreneurs work yeah you know what i mean so basically what you're saying is like events are for um for personal branding purposes right not personal because you know it's not about the personal branding but it's a, you know if you have an interest in the community and like in in your case for instance you're working you know as a curator of your own community then this is a very good uh, a very good chance to uh, you know to show people your yeah. influence also online cool so basically um, when you say so you said, we, what we do is we create a lot of content and then we get hype. We create hype around that content. And then we, so basically what's that content? Are you talking about um, articles, videos? Uh, well, um, for instance, we one thing that um, people should not underestimate when creating us uh, a, um, an event is curating all the talks. Like what uh, Moshe and I have done, we went to see the people before letting them speak and we asked them to uh, to talk about specific items why because it is our responsibility that what comes out and it's discussed during those events is what we believe it's right otherwise you know what is the point you know it could be like a uh, self-marketing event where people come and just say Hey, this is me, blah, 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 this is my work. No, we need to build some sort of narrative. The event that we organized here was about, you know, uh, sharing as much as possible about the business side of things. Uh, Because one of our goals is to raise awareness on how much people should charge, uh, what is good practice, uh, what does it mean to have a community that supports the... uh, the profession, and so on and so forth. Yeah. All right. Cool. And then basically, so you build the content around that. So you curate your speakers and you go meet them and you make sure the talks are legit. You have a certain theme for the event, right? Yes. Um, and then after that, what do you do? How do you, how do you create content around their talks? Uh, so basically then what you do, you take everything that you've done, you've probably seen it in uh, in my vlogs and so on, and you publish this content online and you make sure that, you know, um, throughout the time whilst you're organizing these events, you, um, uh, you make sure that people know what you're up to and what you're working on. Myself, I do it with video. Um, 
at the moment video um, you know video it's very it's a commitment you have to spend a lot of hours editing and it takes very long uh, so for me at the moment video only does that it makes sh- I make sure with video that people know what I'm up to that's all and then uh, I use video to inform my followers and my clients of what I'm doing cool and so basically, um, video is a great way, and I want to dig into that uh, in just a bit and go into YouTube for a bit. Uh, but just to um, finish off the event thing, right? So sure. um, what are like what are three tips that you can give to anyone who's planning an event right now? Three tips? Well, you know, um, if you're making an event, it's not about you. It's about the community. So keep that in mind. Maybe you're working because you're trying to build your influence with the community, but this shouldn't be your first goal. This will come as a consequence. So bear that in mind. You make an event for the community. If you're not giving value to people, people won't come. Uh, second tip, um, don't think about money because chances are that the first year you're not gonna make any and you might even lose some money this is part of the plan you know if you've been lucky enough to have done other events where you made money in the first year i guarantee you that the odds are very much against you the third tip you should really pick a venue that is designed to make events first of all i join all of your tips like really value first that's the most important thing because if you don't have value you suck. <laughs> I mean, people will never come back to your events and they will not talk about it. Actually, they will talk about it in a bad way. So that's one thing. Um, so really, you got to make sure that value first and don't think about like positioning yourself or anything. If the value first is there, that will position you in, a, in an amazing way. Second is don't plan for money. For sure. Like um, I, I totally, uh, I'm totally down with that. Um, in events that are bigger than that, like big conferences, maybe you can start planning for money if you're really organized. But really, if you're starting out doing events, just never plan for money. Uh, but um, you know, just just understand that this is a marketing move, and like any marketing budget, it goes to the event. So that's that, and um, and and pick a venue that is meant to do events, like really. And then my tip for for people do, that want to do events is. Commit first, carry it later. It's something that I always uh, explain to people. And that's like, say you're going to have the event, then figure out how you're going to carry it out, really. Because it's like like anything you do, like when you're an entrepreneur. But anyways, um, you know, it's just, it's very important. Because um, for me, I could have just, you know, I could have said, oh, but I, I will plan and I'll find a place and no, 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 you know, I... I would never be able to pull off the events that I pulled off. I don't know about you, Fabio, I bet you're the same way, right? The scouting for the venue took us four years. And in, in the in the fourth year, we found a venue that was good enough. Uh, now what is happening is that we have been doing the, the event there for three years, and now we got to the point where it's too small and we got also the city of Vienna involved at the moment because this is becoming a very big event. Um, so, you know, we will have to sort it out somehow and we'll have to continue working on finding something better because uh, very important, it's also the networking part. 
So you see people come together because, you know, we have a theory, which is when you look for clients, you never, uh, as a freelancer, when you look for clients, you never really want to look for clients. You want to look for other companies that can give you some of their work. Because the moment you go as a single person to a client, the client has a lot of leverage on you and you might end up hurt very very often so you know it's good to take little steps and then eventually wait a little bit until you can really afford to work with clients totally all right great so um right now i am uh, i'm shifting gears uh because we don't have so much time left but i want to get into uh youtube okay um so you are besides having these events so you've been a youtuber for how long um well, I started in 2008. <laughs> 2008. Okay. Okay. And then I dropped it and then I, you know, I went on and off, on and off, on and off. But I've been doing it continuously since summer 2016. 2016. Awesome. So you've been doing it for like, kind of like for two years now. Um, two years. Yeah. Yes. Building your, your YouTube channel. Um so right now it's you know it, it, it's uh, it's a very active channel. I know we had a had a talk about that um, that you know the numbers in terms of subscribers is not big, but the the engagement is super high. Can you tell us how many subscribers you have right now? Uh, Two thousand three hundred and something. You know I gain on average about three to five people per day. So you know it's uh, nice to see that this number changes daily. Nice, nice. So. How do I do that, Fabio? How do I get like, like massive audience uh, for that? Share value, share value. Also, uh, one thing that uh, I was at a YouTube convention last um, a couple of months ago in Amsterdam. And basically, one thing that you should understand is that the psychology of the people that uh, join your channel, it's very different from YouTubers with big numbers. Uh, why? Because until you're a small YouTuber, people will think of you as a small YouTuber that has only done a couple of good videos and they will look for those videos. They will not subscribe to you. So uh, people will start to subscribe to you whilst uh, once you have a very substantial number. Uh, I can tell you that this is proving itself to be right. In my case, I have a lot of people that don't subscribe but that every day they write me emails saying, you know, I really love your videos and blah, 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 and they're watching them. Uh, it's just that the psychology of the people that, you know, um, get to consume your content, it's different. Then if you gain a lot of subscribers, all of a sudden you become like this acclaimed channel that, you know, everybody wants to watch, like, I don't know, Casey Neistat or whatever. So... It, it will take a little bit of time for for you to build an audience, definitely. Um, it can be that, you know, it goes very fast. I know people that were able to gain like 100,000 subscribers in three months. So so what are the kind of things that you noticed? Um, you, so a lot of people know vlogging, you know, they know like people showing around their lifestyle. And then um, so you have these kind of like shots of when you're like pre-roll and you're outside. Uh, or doing this thing in a conference or something and then you have the explainer videos we're just sitting like now we are sitting in front of the cameras and talking about what we learned ta, 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 right um, 
Yes. What did you discover lately about how people consume your content? Well, uh, first of all, one of the goals that I had in the very beginning was to try and um, um, share my life on video so that people would understand what was like to be a designer. That was my goal. And I quickly realized that people didn't really care about what it's like to be a designer or, um, you know, I was trying to use the vlogging format, which was what I started with in 2008. Uh, Back then, the idea was to show people what was it like to be a student of architecture. Needless to say, it didn't work. Um, the, The attention started to come when I started to share content that was relevant to our profession, mainly talking about money, talking about... uh, you know, people uh, talking about uh, tips and tricks of the of the job, basically. Yeah, totally. Um, so, like, one thing that I know YouTube, like, people a lot of people don't know, but YouTube is a search engine for it. Like, you know, it's just like you have Google and you have YouTube. Like, YouTube is a search engine. People use YouTube to search for stuff they need and are looking for. Today's, um, today's knowledge is a commodity. Everybody has it. And on YouTube, they have it on video. So usually people come and search for maybe how can I price or how can I, um, you know, price for my uh, rendering uh, costs or like whatever. And, and probably like Fabio, they, they, get, they get to you. And then, you know, basically it's like SEO. Once you have a good, once you have good content that targets people that are actually looking, there's a search volume for that, then you can make a decent amount of like, followers get subscribers just out of that because you will be promoted organically by youtube right yes it's really true yes yes cool and uh then you know you get into a discussion of how you create the right tags and how you uh you know how do you go and correct the the video so that it pops as one of the first things when you look for something like if you if you now google how much does a rendering cost or cost of a rendering my video will always pop up as the first thing cool how do you improve your storytelling skills and i mean i know you think about it and i talked about it um when we met last week but so how do you how do you improve how do you learn uh your storytelling skills because nobody really teaches that so much no i i i had to study that um i did personal studies i took a lot of like uh, comic books uh, there are comic books where they teach you how to tell a story in a comic book. So what are your um, basic recommendations for me right now? I, I take like, I, I'll tell you one insight that I got out of this conversation with you right now. The thing that matters is what is the topic of the video and are people actually searching for that, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, story will always come first. Meaning if you have something to tell that it's interesting, you can sit in your toilet and talk to your phone, people will be listening to you. You don't have to make up anything fancy. Uh, But of course, then you need to understand yourself in which direction you wanna move. We were talking about this when we were in our place. You know, I don't wanna be the guy that only talks to his phone in the toilet. I wanna make beautiful things. And this is why, you know, I'm surrounded by cameras I have tripods everywhere, lights like in a in a photo studio. I have panels for the sound to record 
crystal clear sound simply because I want to be taken serious with what I do. And it doesn't matter that the numbers are not there yet. It will take me a while, but it will come. Yeah. No, I, th I think that's, uh, that's, that comes to my uh, next point, which is the last point that I wanted to talk to you about. And that's like gear and tools. Um, just as a recommendation, what do you think I should get in order to get a better light? Um, well, you can work easily with like IKEA lights. It's more the positioning of the lights themselves. Like I use paper in order to diffuse the light because you see, if I have like the light directly in front of me, I look like blown out. But if I use say a, a piece of paper to diffuse it, then I start to get a little bit more soft light. Anyways, yeah, so uh, this is, this is some great, uh, do you have a, a list of your tools that you're using uh, anywhere? To me, the best camera at the moment that you can uh, get to do vlogs is, uh, there are two cameras. It depends a little bit on your preference. Definitely the Canon 200D is one model or the Canon M50, which is a mirrorless and it's a little bit smaller. The only problem is that it uses different lenses from the normal Canon lenses. Uh, and the reason why I recommend Canons is that there are a lot of cameras that have a lot more features like Sony, Panasonic, they're killing it. But Canon, they're reliable. And I tell you because I've tried them all. I, I, I still have like a, uh, a Panasonic laying around. I had um, a, uh, a Sony, the RX100. I tried them all, man. Anyway, uh, you know, I really don't mean to, to, uh, to talk bad about other cameras. In my experience, Canon has always delivered the, the performance that I needed it to deliver. A lot of people complain about the fact that, you know, Canon doesn't really have 4K, but I guarantee you editing and uploading 4K video is a pain in the butt because they're huge videos and nobody needs to see all your skin imperfections on your face because nobody watches, you know, 1080 is the, is as good as it gets. And, uh, and we leave, you know, those tools for like Hollywood productions and whatnot, uh, for like social media and for sharing a message, 1080p, it's, uh, it's more than enough. The iPhone is one of the best tools that you can use. Now, the only problem that I have with, uh, with, the, with the iPhone is that I try sometimes with my vlogs to make something a little bit more cinematic. So, you know, I need things like uh, the ability to switch quickly to slow motion without having, you know, to, to uh, go through the settings or like, you know, when you have a camera, you can simply point it and you, you have the screen, you can tilt it. So there are some small advantages, but eventually I think that the iPhone in terms of quality, even audio, it's such a good tool, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I just like think about going around with the Canon all day and I'm like, why should I buy the Canon if I have almost everything that the Canon can give me inside my mobile device? It's like the best tool. You're 100% correct. You're 100% correct. And if you're not willing to do like, uh, if you take oh, really? a look at one of oh. my vlogs, the way they're done and built, you know, that there is always this little bit of um, cinematic uh, look that I try to achieve. 
then you might want to have a camera, even a point and shoot, because, you know, you have the ability and the ergonomics to say, okay, I do this shot and maybe I do a transition, which you don't have with a, with an iPhone, you know, you would have to rig the iPhone, you would have to uh, maybe put a lens that allows you, you know, to zoom in and out, to have sort of like a, a creative transition and whatnot. Um, I do it with a point and shoot because I'm not an iPhone user, first of all. You know, I'm a PC user and they're still not a perfect marriage. Uh, all right. And um, lastly, um, like when you're uploading to YouTube, um, do you have anything on your YouTube? I, I know you have this extension on YouTube that you use to uh, monitor your views and stuff. How's it called? Uh, VidIQ. VidIQ. Okay. VidIQ. Um, basically what it does, it's like analytics for, for videos? Yes. Yes. All right. So that's something that uh, you recommend, right? Because I saw it like open on your YouTube. Yes. Uh, well, basically... Uh, I do recommend it, but to be honest with you, uh, it's a little bit hard to explain it. You know, you can optimize the video the way you want it. And eventually what happens is that you might be able to get your video to rank up really high. But what I've noticed that even if you do optimize that, if the content sucks, nobody's going to watch it. So you should really work on the optimization once your content is decent. If your content isn't decent, there is no value in it at all. Like, you know, it's like... Uh, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Like, totally, um, totally value first, like we said about conferences, the same about videos, right? Yeah, otherwise you're polishing a third and you're putting it there, but nobody's going to... <laughs> yeah. Totally, totally. And I think that um, is something that I'm taking with me because I want to grow my YouTube channel pretty quickly. And I, I had, like, you know, I had um, two main communities, blogs, podcasts, and newsletters, which both grew pretty solid. And I was okay with playing the long game. But right now, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I think I'm going to try and play it faster and see if it can be as valuable. Um, so I'm trying a lot of, like, uh, let's call it legit growth hacks. So one of the things that mm -hmm. I'm, I'm considering is like, um, it's like doing stuff which is more like, you know, towards really what people want to get, you know? Um, so mm -hmm. I'm thinking about it. I, I still haven't done those kind of videos right now. I'm working on my uh, documentation of the 10X conference and then social media marketing world. Um, but I am going to actually create a lot of videos like, you know, my insights on running events from being at the 10X conference and stuff like that, that people yes. would probably find my search. Um, but I'll see. I have a few plans, like making rap songs for entrepreneurs and stuff. It's going to be funny. <laughs> uh, you should. You should. You definitely yeah. should. <laughs> and I think that, you know, no matter what, this is always going to be a learning experience, you know? Yeah. So Totally, totally. I, I'm totally uh, down for no, learning. No, but you I should, think. and I cannot wait to, to see your stuff. Yeah. You probably be a, a featured uh, guest on the, the song, yeah? <laughs> um, It'll be my pleasure. Yeah, man. All right, just wanted to take a short break here. Um, if you listen to this episode all the way here, it means you probably find value in it, right? So, well, I wanted to just let you know that this is a weekly show, and it's published first on the Mindful and Ruthless Facebook group as it's recorded live. Yes, this is a Facebook Live 
interview and it basically allows you to interact with the speakers and myself and ask questions as we're recording the podcast and we are trying to answer all of those questions so if you haven't already be sure to search and join the mindful and ruthless group on facebook i promise you you'll find amazing value in joining this community as long as basically joining a community with a lot of other amazing entrepreneurs so all right back to the episode all right so Lastly, to finish, I know we're over time, but we had a lot of technical issues, so we're just closing off right now. Uh, the way we close off the show is basically by a recommendation from you to the audience about books, podcasts, and knowledge sources, anything that you can recommend. Well, uh, I am a very big Tim Ferriss sucker, and every morning I go for a one hour and a half walk and I basically listen to his podcast, even if it's repeating episodes. There are a couple of episodes that I can really recommend. Um, Probably there is one with Carly Kloss, the supermodel. I don't know if you know her. Uh, Another one that I really like is the Joe Rogan Experience. Joe Rogan being one of the most clever people I know personally. It's I, a podcast, I yeah? love the way. Yeah, it's a podcast. It's called the Joe Rogan Experience, and there is an episode with Peter Attia, which I love, and I listen to it like I don't know at least once a week. Uh, then I use a couple of apps which are hacks in my life. One it's called Mindspace, and I use it to like uh, give myself some breaks sometimes you know, meditation, but it's not really meditation. It's more like breathing exercises. Are you talking about Headspace? Yes. Okay. Mindspace is the uh, is the co-working space in Tel Aviv. I was like, Mindspace? Wait, what? <laughs> is it Headspace or Mindspace? Headspace, yeah, I don't yeah, headspace. remember anymore. Headspace, yeah. okay. So that, that one. Yeah. Then, then I use another app, which is fantastic. It's called the Blinkist. Okay. And this app, basically what it does, it feeds you pills of books. So what happened is that you can know what, uh, say, the four hours week of um, Team Ferris is just in 15 minutes. Because it will break down all the chapters and it will give you like a summary of all the chapters. Okay. That's awesome. And I use this. And um, books, one of the books that I read like uh, recently, Open from Agassi. Okay. Uh, from who? What's the name? Open of Agassi. You know, Andre Agassi? Andre Agassi. No, haven't heard it, of him. It's the famous, f- famous tennis player. Ah, okay, okay. It's a biography, but, you know, it's, a, it's actually, it's a very nice book because... I've had kind of a similar relationship with my father. Oh. Uh, you know, we would open another book if we go there. <laughs> but um, basically, you know, a lot of the motivations that... I was a professional skier and I got to up to European Championship. Nice. And the reason why I did that, it was mainly because of the influence that my dad had in my career as a skier. And... This resonates a lot with me, and Agassi also talks about how he dealt with the after tennis because he hated the sport, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's actually really, really true to see 
how certain aspects of people that are forced to do certain things, um, you know, how you make yourself into an entrepreneur because you find ways to get out of your situation organically. And I have to say, it's uh, it's something that it's very inspiring and I can recommend it to, to, to everybody. Awesome. And then I have an, another couple of books is Peak, Peak Performance, you know, Peak from uh, yeah. uh, Andres Ericsson. Yeah. And then No Ordinary Disruption. It's, it's a lot of books. Maybe I'll have to make a, uh, <laughs> a list. A list. Yeah. No, but I do it. You know, I try to read at least one book a week. I listen to one audio book a day. Oh, really? Um, wow. I'm into it, man. I'm into it. Nice, nice. And, uh... I think that it's it's great. It's just like there there was like this uh, study done and saying like, I don't remember when, but it's like the average person reads, I think, like uh, one book a year or something like that or even less. And then the average uh, CEO and, and uh, like uh, CEOs of companies, like any, any company founders are reading uh, an average of like, I know, it was like something massive, like uh, like sixty books a year or something like that, and um, and it it's just like it well, it doesn't make sense sixty books a year for an average. But uh, anyways, there is a crazy study. Maybe that like, like five five um, a, a month or something. Something crazy, yeah. It's like something really really crazy that says like CEOs are reading what? a lot of books. So you say these people are so so busy with their lives, you know, they're CEOs of companies, and yet. They have the time to read books, and everybody around is running around, not well, succeeding, and, and you, you know. And... You should identify what reading a book means, because, like, for instance, I can tell you, I've been reading a, a book from Jordan Peterson, which is called Twelve Rules for Life, but there were like three rules only that I had a personal interest in, because they're related to entrepreneurship. And the rest of the book I didn't touch, you know. The same thing with these comic books, you know. There were parts that I was very interested, but I... And I think this is um, a good way to approach it because, you know, very often we feel overwhelmed by certain tasks because we consider them as a whole when actually you can break them down and you can optimize the result based on what you're looking for. You know what I mean? It's super, super interesting topic because that's exactly it. You know, the people that are successful can take a book and they see a book and they know it's not all like, it's not everything is relevant to them. But they, they say, this one tip, if I get one tip from this book that will make me an extra, I don't know, 10, 10K this year, then it's worth it. It's worth it me reading this. And, and like the, be, the best minds in the world right now are in those books. 12 Rules of Life by uh, Peter, what's it, uh, Jordan P. Peterson. Anyways, the, the thing about like, you finding this one gem is like, it's super critical. The, the best minds in the world, the 12 rules of life is like super intelligent, awesome book that yeah. is like, anybody who doesn't read it, so insightful. And I, I do just like stop reading it uh, in the middle and take a few weeks break just to let it like digest. You, you have Principles by Ray Dalio. It's like one of the top, billionaires in the world like that's like the, the most richest man in in the history of the world like this guy writes a book about how principles are guiding his life and business like this is something worth hearing uh you know and listening to I think any book by grant cardone like you take people that are successful mm -hmm. and read their books like they they change your life i know uh grant cardone's mm -hmm. 10x rule <laughs> changed my life 
I read it way before I had this cap. Is this like the uh, thing time, uh, ten times bigger? Or? Yeah, but it just it breaks down the principles of success. Uh, one of the main things over there is massive action. Uh, I talked about it in this group as well. It's like it says like anything you do in your life, you underestimate how much time, efforts, and um, and money yes. it will take for you. And therefore, yes. you have to plan big. And also, you he take, he gives you all this stuff that you didn't even think about. You know, like you know, someone shit hits the fan. Someone in your family gets ill. You know, um, hopefully that will never happen. But you know, it happens to everyone. And then, who do they come for in the family for help? The people with most money. Obviously, it's you, the middleman that has a modern salary, because most of our parents didn't plan for their you know, for their, like, didn't plan for their pension and, and financial and, and trouble and yeah. retirement and health struggles. So basically, we are no, we're not doing this as well. So when they have health issues, we want to help them. And it's on us and we feel it's on us. And then, you know, we have to help them. But we're not planning. We didn't plan for that, right? So we're like, no, I just want to live my life, be, be fine with my, you know, just close the month fair and you know uh, and, and we're not thinking about being successful we're not reaching our true potential we're not motivated every day to wake up and and crush our goals it's just you know because that's how society brought us up like our families our school yeah. systems and that's why the you know the middle class is just right now the poor class um and sitting mm. shit by everybody around so anyways i think that like, it, it's it's these kind of books like are mind shifting uh, the four-hour work week you mentioned before by Tim Ferriss, that's, it's just, you know, to someone who doesn't read it, it's just missing out on something that's relevant through, from 2009. I read it in like 2015 mm. and I'm like, shit, I could have read that in 2009 right now be in a completely different spot in my life. So um, these are the kind of things that, you know, um, I really urge anyone listening or watching this right now, just read as many books as you can, uh, enjoy it. It's just... It's a blessing to have that in our modern days, especially Audible. Uh, you mentioned Blinkist. I, I'll check it out as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess we can close and wrap this up. Fabio, thanks so much, man. It was a pleasure having you. Thanks so much. For like it's my pleasure. And that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, I would love if you could help me out and please rate this on iTunes. This is a new podcast, so reviews on iTunes go a long way and also ensure that more people will just get to enjoy it. You only have to do this once, not every episode, and it has a tremendous impact. Also, if you haven't yet, I would love to invite you to join the Mindful and Ruthless group on Facebook, where I host this show live and also share so much more with the members of the community. This will be a chance for me to get to know you better, and I love connecting with my audience. Alright, so until next time, remember to be mindful and ruthless. Ruthless with your gut feeling. Ruthless with your journey. Don't let anybody take you off your path, my friend. Keep on, and I'll see you in the next episode. Peace! If you're making an event, it's not about you. It's about the community. So keep that in mind. And it doesn't matter that the numbers are not there yet. It will take me a while, but it's fine. Then you need to understand yourself in which direction.